Morning, everybody, and morning too. I have people. It's the first time I've preached to actual people outside of a high school in quite a while. They are all very suitably social distanced, everyone. They're all, actually, most of them live here. Uh, but but there are a handful of extra people, so that's uh, super nice. Uh, so uh, a few days ago, I've got my notes here on my iPad. That's why I can see that I keep looking down. Uh, a few days ago, I was teaching in a high school, uh, a class on world religions, which I, I really enjoy doing. And one of the things that always comes up when I talk about world religions is how the golden rule is reflected uh, in just about every single world view, religion, philosophy. Uh, so obviously the golden rule for Jesus, he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, but in the other world religions, and I've pulled out a few here that I'll, I'll just read one or two, you'll see that there is some subtle differences in the way that that works. Uh, so in Judaism, the golden rule is expressed, this is from the Talmud, uh, what is hateful to you, do not to your fellow man. That is the entire law, all the rest is commentary. In Hinduism, in the Mahabharata, I'm very sure I didn't pronounce that right, uh, it says, this is the sum of duty, do not unto others which would cause you pain if done to you. In Buddhism, uh, in one of their holy books, see what I did there? Not going to try and pronounce it at all. Uh, it says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. In Islam, in the Sunnah, we have, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. Uh, and even in so more philosophical worldviews like Confucianism, in the Analects, we have surely it is the maximum of loving, loving kindness. Do not unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Even Socrates, he uh, said, do not do to others that which would anger you if others did it to you. So you can see from this that the golden rule is different depending on which worldview you have. But the thrust of the golden rule in the other worldviews, at least from the, um, the quotes that I have given here is to suggest that we should not inflict harm on others. Whereas Jesus has a much more active version of this. He says that we should uh, go and do good to others. It was an active, not a passive version. And uh, this is reflective of God in, in that when we as a people were in great strife, he sent his son actively engaging to do love towards us. It wasn't enough that God was aloof or distant. He had to, he had to become actively engaged to do good for us. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you today where um, this, this phrase comes from in the book of Luke. And I'd also like to to give you some of the broader context of the things that it talks about there. And it, uh, it comes out of one of my favorite sections of the Bible. And this is, I mean, the book of Luke, I'm a bit of a fan of. Uh, and I also am a big fan of the Beatitudes. Sadly, uh, that's in the book of Matthew, though. Um, uh, but the, the sermon that this do unto others statement comes out of that I've read to you today is called the Sermon on the Plain, which is strikingly similar to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but obviously not at the top of the hill, at the bottom of the hill. Uh, there are some people who think that, it's, that these two sermons were kind of just recorded slightly differently, because let's be honest, they're very similar. There is a version of the Beatitudes here, and they're... Uh, and, and I love it. Uh, so I'm going to skip that first section. So it starts with a series of blessings and a series of woes uh, in a similar fashion to the Beatitudes. Uh, but then I'm going to start from Luke 6, 27. It says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even, I have just read the same line. No, it is there twice. That must be important. I think I've read that 20 times in the last two days and I haven't seen that that's there twice. Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked be merciful just as your father is merciful. See, the love of God is an active love. It's the key distinction between simply being a good person and being a person that follows and examples and does what Christ says is that we love not just those who love us, but that we love those who even are our enemies. It is relatively simple to live a life that doesn't hurt others, but it is considerably more like God the Father to live a life that blesses others, that does unto others as you would have them do unto you, leading a life of love and mercy as Jesus proclaims here. So Jesus then takes this to an extreme because lots of times when I read through this love your enemies verse, uh, not here but in other places, or people find out that I am a a pacifist and that I think that we should love our enemies, they say to me, oh, what if someone comes into your house and is going to do something awful to your family? Like their immediate assumption is if you love your enemies, someone's going to try and murder your family. And I don't know why we jump to that extreme, but it's because I think because we we are trying to justify the violence that exists in our world and, and we think self-defense is okay and looking after my family is okay and they always take it to this massive extreme and it's like Jesus knows that this is what we're going to do. And so he makes it really clear in this section. He's like, let me explain it to you if you're thick. If they hate you, serve them. And if they curse you, bless them. If they steal from you, uh, respond with generosity. If they're ungrateful and wicked, be merciful and kind. Love your enemies and do good to them. And you see, Jesus then examples this in the absolute total submission to death, like a lamb to the slaughter. He allows, even though he has all of the angels of heaven that he can call upon, he allows them to kill him. They come into his home and they murder him. You see, Jesus makes it very clear that to love your enemies is without exception. Enemy love is crucial to being a child of the Most High. You see, in this section of Scripture, Jesus doesn't give us a long list of moral um, lifestyle choices that we need to abide to. He says, love your enemies and you'll be a child of the Most High. This is... Uh, one of the single uh, most significant elements of Christian faith is how do you respond to those who are your enemies? Or I think that for most of us, like it's a very short list of people that I go, yes, I have a nemesis, I have an enemy. But it's more about the people that mistreat us or those times in our days where we experience conflict and we go into fight or flight and we freak out and and we're desperate to escape. What is it that bubbles up out of us in in, in those circumstances? 
Now, I'm not saying that we should allow people to hurt us, and I'm not saying that we should stay in relationships where we get damaged. That is not what I'm saying at all. We should always protect ourselves from harm. We need to create suitable boundaries. In fact, I'm going to talk about forgiveness and boundaries uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks because I think it's really important that if we're going to do enemy love, we also make sure we do self-preservation. Uh, you know, and so we, we need to make sure that we have good boundaries. But our default position when we feel under attack is very rarely, I'm going to love this person. And the change inside of us that allows us to respond differently, that is something of the kingdom of God. That's what it is to be a new creation because the old version of me, somewhat the current version of me as well, um, doesn't respond with love when I feel threatened. It's hardwired into our nature to respond to people who are, uh, are coming at us who we feel like they're attacking us. And it doesn't have to, you know, it can be a road rage incident or it can be a like a physically um, dangerous incident or it could just be a normal kind of conflict in your relationships. The, the question is though, do we respond and immediately think, how do I retaliate? How do I get vengeance? Uh, or do, you, do you feel your anger and your aggression flare? Do you, or do you go to a place of superiority? Because uh, like it's easy to do that. It's easy to say, well, I'm better than them. That's why they're behaving like this. Like to, to try and come up with a strategy that works to redefine the situation. Blaming other people or accusing other people of stuff. The only way that we can love our enemies is to see our enemies the way that God sees them. And also, we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. That is immensely valuable. Jesus follows up this teaching about enemy love. Um, I love this. Uh, this is the section of scripture where he says, why are you judging others? Uh, when you have a plank in your own eye and they have a speck in their eye, uh, why are you judging them? And then after he says that, this is, uh, this is in Luke chapter 6. Uh, then he says in Luke chapter 6, uh, 45, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So he has this whole section about how the overflow of your heart um, will come out of your mouth. So he says, love your enemies. Don't pass judgment on people. Be more introspective than that. And make sure you're careful about what comes out of your mouth. So if you go through this whole section of scripture, you actually get a set of steps uh, from Jesus directly uh, teaching us how to respond to our enemies. So the first one is hold your tongue uh, and then stop looking at the offense and passing judgment and plotting consequences. Ask yourself what your enemy needs. How, what is it that they are, uh, are trying to get from you? And are you able to, um, to meet that need in some way? Be merciful and compassionate. Try to understand their perspective. Respond to them with love. Respond to yourself with love. And when I look at this kind of process of enemy love, what I see is, um, I see a process and I think, I, I would want other people to treat me like that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because we all have bad days where we're the enemy. Like it's easy to read this and just go, oh, I'm always the good guy, but it's not true. We're not always the good guy. Sometimes we're the bad guy. And I would hope 
um, that in my family and in my church community, I would love it in our broader community, in our world, if people could love their enemies, if they could do unto others as they want others to do unto them. See, Jesus gives us this great um, set of ideas about how we can respond to people and respond to conflict. And I wish that we would all treat each other like that because I, I need that. You see, then Jesus completes this set of teaching here uh, with a story about wise and foolish builders uh, that I suspect you've heard before. Uh, but he makes this great distinction between the people who hear him and do something and the people who hear him and ignore his words. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I don't know if you've ever had this conversation in a similar fashion with your children. Um, why do you talk to me? About why are you talking to me? I, I can't, why not just do what I said? It's the story of my life. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So when I was in Israel uh, at the beginning of this year, thankfully before all of the no travel stuff happened, um, one of the things that you would see again and again and again in the ancient construction stuff, especially around Jerusalem, you see the city walls and all that is that they literally would dig down till they got to the bedrock, till they got to the good foundation because they could build this wall just on top of the ground, but you know, it would fall down. It wouldn't work. Uh, so you can see these walls, and some of them are thousands of years old. And in all the way around the city, you'll see sometimes the walls look way, way bigger and another section smaller. And it's like, well, that's where the bedrock is. They dug down to get to the rock so that they could build a wall that wouldn't fall down. When, when Jesus uses these kind of architectural um, or, or building illustrations, his audience knows exactly what he's talking about because it is really apparent when you see ancient cities that this stuff was their bread and butter. This was just normal business for them. If you built uh, your structure on the rock, it would stay. And if you built it on the sand or on a, on a on lacking a foundation, it would fall down. Here's the thing though. When you first build a house on non-solid ground, it probably looks pretty good. You know, and you've saved a whole bunch of digging time, which is convenient, and you could probably save a whole bunch of materials having to, you know, get all that set. You can just flatten it out, build your house. It looks fantastic. Until the, the wind comes. Until the storm comes. The faith of people who hate their enemies and the people who are hypocrites and pass judgment on people and those who have um, words stored up inside of their heart, words of evil and malice, words of gossip and slander, their, their faith gets washed away. It doesn't hold up. See, the true test of our faith is not when everyone is our friend. The true test of our faith is during conflict and during times of challenge and strife. And we get to see, did we lay our foundation on Jesus' teaching? And in Jesus' teaching, he tells us to love our enemies. 
Lord, Lord, crying out, Lord, Lord, is a pointless exercise if we don't do what Jesus tells us. Having a, even a life that, that reflects some version of morality is, is not helpful if we hate our enemies. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. So I want to uh, have an opportunity to have communion now um, so we can consider this. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to read some, uh, some scripture about um, communion because this is another thing Jesus said we should do. There are a lot of things in the church that I think we've invented and said this is definitely what Jesus says we must do. And, and it's probably not so much true. But there are a handful of things that Jesus definitely did say to do. He said, love your enemies. And he said that we... Um, that we should break bread and remember him. Uh, so, I don't know, can someone behind me grab our uh, communion stuff because we will share communion here. I'm just going to read this scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you truly set the example uh -huh. and when it comes to enemy love um, when we were still your enemies you came and died for us and to reconcile that relationship and I pray that we would um, not just cry out Lord Lord and ignore you I pray that this would be deep in our hearts that we would reevaluate how we do conflict and how we do uh, our relationships so that it so that we did unto others, and we do unto others what we would hope they would do unto us. So help us with us, uh, with that, empower us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.